Southwestern family of companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, our diversely and amazingly accomplished guests share their insights and inspirations to help us ignite our own. So let's invest attention together to breathe, to reflect and refocus, and decisively defeat that voice we call Mr. Mediocrity. Then let's enjoy moving forward to make a positive difference in our world. Sometimes the world feels crazy and lonely to me, maybe even a little fake. But what would happen if I slowed down and started offering kindness to others? The best leaders challenge us to be more, to focus on helping others before ourselves. We can change things for the better. No matter who we are or what we're doing, any one of us can be good to others. This sounds like a small thing, but I've seen how it creates a big ripple effect, where one act of kindness helped you and me, then it kept going again and again. Being kind encouraged someone else to do the same because they felt noticed, because they felt loved, more and more people joined in. Don't you want to be a part of that? A place where everyone looks out for one another? Where what we say and do can't help but inspire more kindness? That's the world I want to live in. And that's the world we can create, together. So let's look around, wherever we are, and be willing to go first. Because not only does kindness matter, it spreads. To join the movement, visit InspireKindness.com. On this episode of The Action Catalyst, host Dan Moore is joined by two-time Grammy Award-winning producer, Dennis Scott, whose latest project reimagines the music of Mr. Rogers, with help from some of the biggest stars in entertainment. The pair discuss Dennis's long career, the mentality that pushes him forward, and of course, talk about Fred Rogers, the man, his message, and most importantly, his music. And be sure to stay tuned, after the interview, for a very special preview of the album being discussed. Thank you, Mr. Rogers. Listeners to the Action Catalyst, this is Dan Moore, and I am so excited to have Dennis Scott with us today. Having Dennis with us here takes me way, way back. And those of you that are of a certain age where you think all music actually stopped after about 1974, you will appreciate this man's background in music. A great admirer of your work without even knowing that much background until just recently, Dennis. So welcome to the Action Catalyst. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I've been looking forward to this for quite a while. There are so many untold millions of artists, composers, musicians, producers, everything, all hoping to win a Grammy. You've won two Grammys. You've done some amazing work, not only in the popular field, but particularly in the area of children's music. But through this long career, this wonderful career in which you've achieved so much, I'm sure there were some pivot points where you're heading in a certain direction, then something happened to move you in a different direction, then it moved you in a different direction, influences you encountered that, that put you where you are today. Could you maybe talk about some of those most significant pivots for us? I will give it a shot. I guess I would start by saying I started my career in my early life as a child actor. I was on Broadway when I was seven years old in a show written by Noel Coward. And I thought that was where I was going to be going. It was either I told my parents, I'm either going to be a world famous actor or a veterinarian. Then when we got to high school, my biology grades were so bad, my teacher said, no, you better stick with the other thing. But that too changed because at one point I, I realized that when I got to be a teenager, I was not the little adorable seven-year-old that used to get jobs on television and commercials. So I got more interested in music when that led me to, like a lot of people, when the Beatles came out, picking up a guitar and learning how to play from my big brother. It led me into more discovery about music and later on became a musician in bands in New York. And eventually that led me to songwriting. And the songwriting is something that I explored. 
And the quick story, I'll try to make it as quick as possible, is that I was writing songs and I was on the road with a group called the New Christie Minstrels. And I wrote this song called Captain Kirk's Disco Trek. And I thought, well, this is fun. It's a novelty song. Little knowing that novelty songs are a little hard to get placed on the radio these days. So I took it around and somebody said, well, why don't you take it to a children's record label? Which I did, which led to um, a writing assignment for that label. And I took that to Sesame Street and said, here's something I've done. And I was pretty new at it, but I felt good about it. And they said, well, sure, stick around. And uh, if you want to answer a few phones here, and we got this project in the wings called Sesame Street Country, and see if you can get some celebrity artists to appear on it. So I said, okay, I'll give it a try. And so without any pay, I went in every day to New York City, and I put on a tie, and I got on the phone, and I tried to call every country artist you can imagine. We ended up getting the Crystal Gale and Glenn Campbell and Tanya Tucker and Loretta Lynn, queen of country music. Mm -hmm. And then the man who was the head of the record label at Sesame Street said, well, do you want to produce it? And I said, yeah, sure. At that point, I had only produced my own little demos in my bedroom with a four-track recorder. But my mother always said, ever say no. So I, I said yes, and that ultimately led to a Grammy Award for my first time out. So there you go. Wow. Home run is your first at bat. <laughs> That's just fantastic. And so many artists have worked with you and recorded your music. I mean, who else is going to have Ray Charles cut one of yours and Elmo cut one of yours? <laughs> it was a dichotomy if there ever was one. The range is absolutely fantastic. And so this whole area of children's music, what are some things that you find so energizing and fulfilling from working with children's music? Well, after trying to be a songwriter uh, and pitching my songs to Barbara Streisand and Barry Manilow, I felt good about my writing technique. But for those assignments, you have to write very specifically for that artist or some, an artist like that. But with children's music, it's so liberating because I can write music as jazz or reggae or show tunes or any, anything that I, that I feel like because kids can and should be exposed to all sorts of music. Mm -hmm. And a great song is a great song, whether it's for a kid or an adult. So I feel that I'm bringing an adult sensibility to writing children's music and I try to make it as adult for them as possible. I like to see them reach just a little bit so that they'll grow. I think that's fantastic. Now, what's, what's really fun about that is people that study child development, of course, know that if you can expose them to various foreign languages while they're very young, they'll adopt the accent better than they ever would if they got it older. And I think musical styles are like a language to children. Expose them to music when they're young and keep it in varied forms. They're going to be much more musical, multilingual. I agree. Totally. That, that's great. Well, one thing that, that I want to ask you about too, Dennis, often when you study somebody whose career is, is just as fabulous as yours, as impactful as yours, it'd be easy to conclude that you never hit a brick wall, never had a setback. Now, I know that's not true. Well, I have to revert back to the time when I was a child actor and I would go on all these auditions and inevitably it's fraught with rejection because there are so many people who want to do what you're doing and they can't all get the job. You just made me think of a situation when uh, I was pretty young and I had gone on one of these auditions and it was for a commercial and I didn't get it. And I was in the back seat of my car and my mother was driving. And I was crying. I didn't get it. I didn't. And she said, all right, if you're going to be like this, I'm not taking you on any more auditions. We're done. That kind of shut me up quickly. <laughs> uh, but the point is, I guess, that even after that, there were tons of rejections. And even to this day, you, you pursue a, 
a project or a job that you really want that you think you're good at? And when the answer is no, I've, I've learned to put on a, a little suit of armor and just let it bounce off me and say, okay, on to the next thing. And that's, that's really all you can do. Mm-hmm. That on to the next thing is really the vital phrase there, I think, because sometimes people build their hopes up so much. And then when it doesn't happen, the letdown can last for a really, really long time. Uh, and staying in motion, I think is so inspiring to do that. Well, it even, dare I say, occurred in this last project, which I knew we we're going to talk about this Mr. Rogers album that I produced. Mm-hmm. I don't need to jump the gun, but even that had some pretty tough roadblocks. But I remember what Mrs. Rogers told me. She said, uh, when I did my first Mr. Rogers album, she said that I love it and Fred would have loved it. And that, that meant everything to me. It was a turning point in terms of a feeling of dedication I had to making sure that in addition to his teachings and his wisdom, that his music does lost because his music was so important to him. But stay in the course and believing in the project. And most of all, it sounds like the emotional purpose, which is Fred would have liked this. This would have meant something to Fred because those of us that grew up with Fred and made sure our kids grew up with Fred know exactly how powerful that is. Yeah. Anyone who reads a little bit about him, learns about him, will find out that even at a young age, when he was 10 years old, his, uh, his grandmother bought him a beautiful Steinway piano because he wanted a piano and he, he went into town and he picked out that one. And she, she believed in him, said, I know how important music is to you. And uh, that piano traveled with him wherever he went when he did his show in Canada and then he moved to Pittsburgh. It was always part of his life. And writing music for children was an extension of his teachings. He did it so well in such an unconventional way mm. that it, it really touched people. And my thought was that it also touches adults, which is why I had the concept of taking his music and seeing what we can do with it, creating a, new arrangements for it with different artists performing it. Because as I said before, a great song is a great song, no matter who writes it and who it's for. So I wanted to, to reimagine his music and give it the attention that it deserves. Well, on that note, let's talk about the project. Well, I I have to hearken back to, I've done two Mr. Rogers projects at this point, and one was back in 2005. And people asked me, well, how did it come about? And that's really the story is that I was in my kitchen. I had the TV on and Mr. Rogers was on the show uh, on the TV with a repeat. And he was singing this beautiful little song called It's You I Like. And I said, wow, what a charming song. I wonder who wrote that. And then I learned that he wrote all 200 songs that were on his show. So I I said to myself, I wonder if anybody else has ever recorded this. And lo and behold, nobody really had. So I thought, this is a gem. Now, at that point, it was more of a a musical challenge to me to see what, what can I do with these songs? Because I didn't know Mr. Rogers the way I've come to know him now. I didn't know his heart. I didn't study all of his teachings. They sort of filtered through to me. But in the process of doing that album and then doing this next one, I learned quickly that he was a very gifted songwriter and totally underrated in terms of writers today. But he knew exactly what he was doing. His lyrics were really on the caliber of any of the greats, the Cole Porters and Ira Gershwin's in a different way, but just as gifted and crafted. That's where I got started on that project. And the project took two years to complete, but I went to his original company and Mrs. Rogers was chairman of the board. And there was a man who was running it. 
And I presented the idea of doing this album, great songs sung by, you know, well-known artists. And there was some hesitation there too, because nobody had ever done it. And even though I had some credentials, they were hesitant to go ahead and hand me the keys to the kingdom. And uh, it took a year to convince them. And uh, finally, mm. I joke about this, but it may be true. I, I think maybe they said yes, just to get rid of me at that point. <laughs> but after that, it was full speed ahead and took almost another year to gather all the artists and to record it. And then, as you see, the, the result was a Grammy, which which was great. And it's very gratifying. But I got home the next day after winning the Grammy and was like amazed to find out I still had to take the trash out. <laughs> this don't seem right to me. Yes, yes. Anyway, years later, just a couple of years later, when there was a, a re, kind of a rebirth of interest in Fred Rogers, I thought I want to make sure that his music doesn't get lost in the shuffle. So that's why I took it upon myself to do this next album, which was very exciting. I mean, it had some very interesting moments. Uh, one month when I was at the airport in Nashville and there was a horrendous lightning storm. And I had to be in Los Angeles the next day to record Marilyn McCoo and Billy Davis and from the Fifth Dimension and Mickey Dolan's from Monkeys, which was really a great experience. Sure. Got on the plane and got in there at like four in the morning because they had to delay the, the flight like four hours. But we recorded it and I'm very proud of the way it turned out. Mm-hmm. You are a model of persistence and perseverance, it seems to me, Dennis. Uh, that's what my bandmates say. I, as you know, I play in a, a Beatles band called the Wanna Beatles. And there too are challenges because we're trying to work and get bookings all over the country. And it seems like a lot of that responsibility has fallen on my shoulders. The guys say, it's your gift. And I said, well, thanks. <laughs> but I get excited when somebody says no to me because it makes me even more determined to convince them to give me a yes. Well, if we can expand that a little bit and this one-year process where you're seeking approval from that board and they were so resistant and so protective and guardians of the message and mission, what did you do internally to keep energized, to keep moving forward, to, to not lose faith and say, oh, well, I guess it's not going to happen? Because a lot of people give up just a, just a foot or two before they're going to succeed. Sure. Well, there are those moments. I have a yellow uh, ledger of all the people I called in the music industry. And I've covered a lot of different genres. And there are lots of crossouts of people who rejected it. Some not because they didn't love Mr. Rogers, but just because they were on tour or couldn't do it or had just recorded an album that they were promoting. I think it's uh, the little engine that could. Uh, and I get inspiration from my, my parents, who uh, my mom, who was a, a real go-getter, and she, she stood behind me and said, you, you can do this and just do it. Once I started down that road, I, I couldn't turn back. I said, one way or another, we will make this album and it, it will be good and it will honor Mr. Rogers and uh, I'll do whatever it takes. I've been in that mode so long of persisting. I don't really know how to do anything else. And that itself is very instructional that we all have habits. We can have a habit of giving up or we can have a habit of regrouping and persevering. And it's become a habit with you. Thank you. Huh. That is, that's wonderful. It's so remarkable because I am a, a music fan myself. Uh, I'm a picker and a grinner and a piano player. And I know that music moves people in very different ways than almost anything else can. And Fred Rogers not only was music, but it was message. And the message was acceptance, acceptance, acceptance. 
in today's world where people are constantly judging themselves by their social media profile versus somebody else's social media profile, is it your feeling that this messaging is, has never been more important, I guess, for people to grasp of all ages? Oh my gosh, absolutely. Uh, in fact, in working on this project, it didn't start out as a music project because I, I didn't know if we were going to be able to do it, if we could get the artists, we could get a budget and things like that. So I was interviewing people to have a plan B so, mm. um, so we could have a, something that celebrated Mr. Rogers from the fans' point of view, people who watched him and admired him. And the thing that kept coming up was that they said, we need Mr. Rogers more than ever. And mm. I think it's, it's true. His message of kindness is something we need desperately right now. Music is one way that he did it, but um, in his messages as well. So I totally agree with that. And it seems like he embodies the notion of neighbor in a time that we might consider a bygone times where the neighbor was somebody you could lean on, where they'd be there for you when you needed them. In many communities today, people have no idea who their neighbors are. They never meet them. They, they shudder themselves. They don't know who's out there. And that, won't you be my neighbor, is a deeply powerful phrase. Now, what have you done over the years when you felt yourself maybe getting into a period of complacency? Because you have many honors, many awards, things that people spend their whole careers and not even come close to. You've done so well. But the sense I get is that you don't flatten out. You keep inspiring and moving forward. So how do you avoid that sense of what we sometimes call satisfied-itis? Hmm. What a great question. Um, well, the way it affects me is that um, there are some projects where People will ask me um, to produce an album of children's songs. It may not be something that I wrote. It could be something that they have that they want me to execute for them. Sometimes it's almost like Santa's workshop. It's There are like a hundred songs that have to be either written or written and recorded. And you know, I look and say, well, good golly, can I, can I really do this and keep up the enthusiasm for doing it? At the end of one of those projects, sometimes they'll say, okay, I know how to do this. I want to do something different maybe, but when the next project comes up and I start getting into it and I start working on saying, no, well, there are way, new ways of looking at this project, new things we can try out and make it even better than the other project. I don't think I feel that let down. I, I feel temporarily, just a little bit. And then eventually I, uh, I come around and say, okay, this is going to be great too. And I'm glad to do it. And you know, like a lot of musicians, I'm, I'm just glad to be working in this industry and get waking up in the morning and having something to do. My wife says, when are you going to retire? And I said, well, when the phone stops ringing. <laughs> I love that. Now, speaking of the morning, this is maybe an odd question for you, but do you have a morning routine, a habit pattern that you've adopted to start your day? I do. I try sleeping as much as possible. <laughs> Good plan. <laughs> no, I'm admittedly not an early riser, uh, although I'm trying to get better. I mean, I do, like everybody else, have my morning coffee, which it's decaffeinated, so that's all right. I think uh, I go right to the phone and, like everyone else, checks, checks their emails and gets rid of hundreds of spams that come through and just see what the, the challenge of the day is. My day usually consists of several challenges. There are things that I have to juggle between a recording project or a writing assignment and, of course, my group that want a Beatles and we might have a rehearsal, have a new song to learn or, or trying to book them in various theaters. So there's plenty to do. And it, it's whatever uh, tidal wave hits me on a given morning. That's what I attack first. I've noticed you use excellent self-talk. 
you, you used the phrase a minute ago in the midst of a project where you'd say, it's going to be great. That you tell yourself, it's going to be great. Are you conscious of using good self-talk? Is it something that you work on or does it just become habit over time? No, I, I'm actually not even familiar with that terminology. So I'm glad to learn it from you. <laughs> well, it's, it's pretty straightforward. It's really self-talk is whatever we say to ourselves about ourselves and what we're doing. And also whatever we choose to believe about what other people say. And over the years with all the rejection you faced, you had to choose to believe it or choose not to believe it. You practice excellent self-talk. Well, I, I guess it just comes from uh, the experience that I've had and, and growing up. And, and my dad was, a. I come from a family of uh, self-made people. My, my grandfather came over from Russia and without a penny in his pocket, and he started a stove and furniture business. And my father continued that. And they were hard workers. They, you know, my dad works at least six days a week and sometimes seven. So I, uh, I think I picked up a, a good work ethic and it drives me. And I think it, hopefully it honors them. I think about the first Grammy that I received for the Sesame Street album, my parents went with me. You know, when you're in a, a musician in kind of a, the arts fields, you wonder, you know, do your parents really get what you're doing or do they think it's mean something that's worthwhile. And I knew that night something, maybe it was always there, but something clicked in them and said, okay, this is my son, the Grammy winner. So <laughs> but I, I think they always felt that way, but I didn't perceive it, but I, I know now and will know forever. Well, this is a lesson to all of us who are parents and grandparents then is to express that belief. As your mother said, you, you can do it. You can do this thing. And also to sometimes be a little bit tough on you. Well, if you can't handle the rejection, then you should never do this again. <laughs> Speaking truth and then the role modeling, the hard work ethic that your whole family modeled. So it culminated in you having the work ethic and the self-belief and some God-given talent that she then nurtured and developed and made even greater. It's just a wonderful story. Thank you. We're all very excited about the album, the music, the kindness message, which is so key. What would you advise some of our listeners who are at a pretty down point in their life right now? Boy, I, I think I'm going to hearken to what Mr. Rogers said uh, around the time of 9-11. His show was off the air, but he came back on the air to deliver a message to people because he felt it was something that he needed to do. And he directed the remarks to children. But I think, again, we could all learn a lesson from it. Uh, he said, look for the helpers, referring, of course, to the people who ran into buildings and brought people out of the towers. But uh, but it, I think it it's all around us. There are people all around us who want to help us and who are our friends and our family who some of them may not know exactly how to do that. But the fact that they're willing to do it and they want to be there for you, you can take a lot from that. And, uh, and I try to try to do that too. I try to always be sensitive to the people who can be there for me. And that mm -hmm. gives me courage and encouragement. So thank you, Mr. Rogers, for that too. What a phenomenal, powerful lesson. Look to the helpers because there are people that are willing to help. And when we're discouraged, we tend to think it's all about me and we don't realize there are the people involved that can make a difference, can really help out. So that is tangible. That's a great nugget of wisdom there, which we appreciate. Well, I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about Mr. Rogers. Uh, you know, I do hope everyone will check it out. You know, if you love Mr. Rogers and you love his music, you'll really appreciate the way his music has reimagined in this album called Thank You, Mr. Rogers, Music and Memories. And it's got artists, we mentioned Mickey Dolenz from The Monkees, but it's also got Vanessa Williams singing one of Mr. Rogers' most beautiful and touching songs. And it's got Rita Wilson, who was married to 
Tom Hanks, who did the movie about Mr. Rogers. And um, oh my gosh, the castles, if you remember them. From, oh, of course. I love the flower girl. And even Tom Bergeron, if you remember from Dancing with the Stars. Uh, well, Tom happens to be a, a good little singer and he loves to whistle and he, he whistles on the album. It, it makes it really special. Kelly Pickler is on the album. She does a great mm-hmm. version of Fred's closing theme and John Cicada, who's had hits. John Cicada sings, Won't You Be My Neighbor in Spanish. Oh, my goodness. It's like a different song. It's, it's gorgeous. My wife says it's even sexy. So, uh, <laughs> so in a nice, in a good kind of way. So anyway, if you go to our website, thankyoumrrogers.com, you can hear little samples of it and try it on for size and see if you're not enchanted, I hope, by the way his music is so adaptable. That is fantastic. I'm looking forward to hearing it myself because nobody can have too much kindness and nobody can have too much joy. Dennis, thank you for being a conduit to both kindness and joy for so many people and for all of our listeners. And to me personally, we are grateful for you. It's so great meeting you do, and hopefully I'll see you at the next concert. Sounds good. Just don't say you want to hold my hand. (laughs) (laughs) If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. To stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. Thanks for listening. And now, a very special preview of the album, Thank You, Mr. Rogers, Music and Memories.
something someone really likes to hear. The singing way, the singing way, the singing way to say, I love you. Why do fire engines make noise? So hot Why aren't live babies Like my other toys Why do I wonder A lot Oh let's go right away Go right away Go somewhere today, somewhere today. Let's be together And stay and stay Let's go together Today right away Let's be My home, my friends are here. I love the way I feel when they're here. It's my home. This is my home.
este rincón Un día de amigos Qué bellos son Pudiera contar Con tu amistad Thank you for making us feel right at home You made us feel special Now see how we've Learn more and order today at thankyoumrogers.com.